Good evening, everyone. My name is Simon Barrett, and this is another edition of Journey into Justice, a chance to take a look inside the world of uh, the law. As always, I'm joined by my very good friend, attorney and author, Mark Bellow. Mark, great to have you on the program. Always happy to be here, Simon. How was your Thanksgiving? (laughs) It was fine. I'm turkeyed out. (laughs) How much much weight did you gain? <laughs> I um I don't think very much. I'm a I, I'm a very small eater. Um, so uh, this morning, um I I got this delightful email from Mark last month. An interview in Harper's Bazaar between Gretchen Carlson, formerly of Fox News, and New York Senator Kristen Gillibrand, called Gretchen Carlson refuses to be silenced, was featured. Though the subject matter is important, and the law they discuss favorable to justice for victims. The interview and article pissed me off enough to write a letter to the editor. I mean, who could resist um, an invite like that? You know, fate just waiting to be taken. I, of course, took the bait. So, Mark, tell us all about this. Well, Simon, what what basically happened was I, I, I sent across the article and uh, uh, immediately, uh, I, n- I noticed that the person being interviewed was Kirsten Gillibrand, who I have respect for, and the person doing the interview was Gretchen Carlson, who I have less respect for. Um, and I was having a conversation with a friend of mine the other day who happens to uh, this is just a complete coincidence, but he happens to be in the gentleman's club and sex toy business. And uh, I guess that is somewhat uh, maybe remotely relevant to today's topic. But, you know, as I was discussing this with him, I forgot that he was a wealthy business owner, probably a Republican. And I brought up this article I read. And while the article was very pro-social or civil justice, it still made me angry. And he wanted to know why. The article, as you indicated, was entitled Gretchen Carlson Refuses to be Silenced. And she interviews Senator, Senator Gillibrand about a very important legal topic, which is arbitration clauses in employment contracts. And most of those clauses exist to protect harassers from their illegal or unethical behavior and to muzzle sexual assault survivors. Now, the article takes a very sensible position that these clauses should be abolished for good. So you might ask if the opinion offered was sensible and the legislation they were discussing was 
important, why would I be pissed off? Um, first, let me say that my friend was vehemently opposed to any changes in arbitration clause um, legislation or any type of employment contract restriction like non-competes or non-disclosures or covenants not to sue. He and I could not be further apart on these issues. I understand where he's coming from, but it is the position of power that an employer enjoys that trumps any legal benefit that an employee might otherwise enjoy in these situations when these kinds of topics come up. Going back to the article, Gretchen Carlson, like many people before her, never complained about these things and worked for Fox News. Uh, I don't need to tell you that Fox News supported people politically who were responsible for screwing hundreds of employees using arbitration clauses and any other legal factors they could use to limit liability, either legally or unethically. Roger Ailes was a chief perpetrator of this behavior, and until she rebuffed Ailes and became uh, persona non grata at Fox, suddenly she has this come-to-Jesus moment and finds out on her exit that there's an arbitration clause that might limit her ability to sue Fox and Ailes for sexual harassment. So suddenly she's an advocate for the little people. And I just wondered, you know, where 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 is Harper? Why can't Harper find attorneys and workers' rights advocates who have been on the right side of these issues for decades? Why not feature them instead of somebody like Gretchen Carlson, who suddenly has this moment after she? loses her job or decides to leave her job because she's been sexually harassed. Having said that, I'm glad she come to the flight. I'm glad that she's on the right side of this issue now. Um, but you have to wonder whether if this had never happened to her, whether she'd ever be on the right side of these issues. Uh, and that's what I, that's why, even though it was a positive pro justice interview, uh, I was a little peeved by it. And it caused me to write a letter that I doubt Harper's will ever publish. Or <laughs> respond to. Yeah, sorry? Um, let, let's dive in a little deeper here. Um, okay. Sexual um, uh, harassment in the workplace. It, right. it, in my mind, in my mind, um, <laughs> this is. Uh, about as um, partisan as you can get. Uh, I'm obviously a male. (laughs) No, it shouldn't be, but it is. In my uh, 20s and 30s, um, I lived for the idea of being sexually harassed. Preferably by by some you know buxom lady in her forties. It, it never happened. Careful, careful. There's certainly a uh, a um, I don't know uh, a difference between how men perceive. Uh, sexual harassment and how women perceive it. But uh, I just want to clarify one thing. I just want to clarify one thing about 
of the interview and the topic, I'm not necessarily talking exclusively about sexual harassment. I'm talking about mandatory arbitration in employment contracts um, as equally as I am talking about sexual harassment. Uh, you and I have discussed this in the past. Um, uh, it's it's if, if someone is sexually harassed on the job, uh, I, I would I would call that while that is trainable and avoidable, uh, probably somewhat more so than. Injuries and accidents are um, they're litigatable. So a person who is sexually harassed can file a lawsuit and uh, pursue justice and get in front of a jury and collect damages. The problem is that employers um, have increasingly started to make employees, especially professional employees, sign employment contracts. And in those employment contracts are mandatory arbitration provisions that limit your right to sue, limit your right to recover, limit your right to see a judge or a jury. Uh, And that was a, a, a huge focus of this uh, article and the interview between Carlson and Gillibrand. Uh, the bill that they discussed that um, was put forward in late 2017, almost two years ago now, uh, is called the Ending Forced Arbitration of Sexual Harassment Act. Uh, and it was introduced, as I indicated, in December of 2017. Um, and that bill and their work on it together was the premise for the interview. With your permission, I'd like to read some of the um, excerpts that I've noted from the interview. Oh, absolutely. Please do. Um Senator Gillibrand um. didn't start the interview, obviously she's the interviewee, but Uh, I first note that she said, because you have lived it, she's talking to Carlson now, we have been fighting about changing the law so that when people get harassed at work, when they have a boss or a colleague who is constantly harassing them on the basis of their gender, they don't have to restrict where they can take their claim. Right now, most employment agreements and people don't even realize they're there, have forced arbitration clauses, as well as non-disclosure agreements set in their employment contracts. When employees start start working, they don't even realize that they're bound by these. When someone comes forward because he or she has been harassed and are forced into arbitration, a number of things happen. Number one, the legal landscape isn't as good as a trial would be. A trial will almost always result in more convictions and higher financial compensation for harassment. In arbitration, you're likely to get a smaller reward or a loss, and you're likely to be outlawed by a, a company lawyer, and um, the company will have disproportionately more power than the employee does. So the bill would end forced arbitration and void forced arbitration agreements that prevent sexual harassment. That would allow more people to go to court if they want to be heard by a jury of their peers. Gretchen responds by saying, exactly. You don't get the same amount of witnesses in arbitration or the same amount of discovery. The worst thing is the victim is silenced forever, and the perpetrator gets to stay on the job because nobody knows him. Now, uh, uh, my own comment about this is they're both absolutely right. 
because of non-disclosure agreements that are also part of these very same contracts, the harassed woman, usually it's a woman, um, they can't even tell their co-workers, their female co-workers, uh, on the job, avoid this guy, this is what he did to me. Because if they do, they violated the agreement and they can perfectly compensate Now, Carlson then says, the other thing I really want to point out, Senator, is that this isn't a political issue. This is why we were so dead set on making sure that this was a bipartisan bill. When I've been walking the halls of Congress in the last two and a half years, meeting with Republicans or Democrats, somebody doesn't ask you which political party you're in before they harass you. That's why everyone should care about this. Also, you know this is so much better than I do. The idea of trying to actually get something passed, it has to be bipartisan, right? And, of course, Gillibrand agrees and said that 60 million American workers currently don't have access to the public court system because of a forced arbitration agreement. Then they talk about the FAIR Act, which is a different bill, um, far, far larger than passed the House. Uh, sometime this summer. Um, Willibrand's answer is kind of funny, and I'll read it to you. Quote, the bill eliminates forced arbitration clauses in employment, consumer, and civil rights cases, and it allows consumers and workers to agree to arbitration after a dispute occurs if they want. Here's the funny part. It's very broad-based. And it overwhelmingly passed 225 to 186. Now, 225 to 186 is about the Democratic Republican split in the in the House. So yes, it's a it joke is. to call this. It's a joke to call this a bipartisan bill. But I, I'll move on. And here's another funny little line she made. She she says. I'm hoping we can get it up for a vote in the Senate. Senator Blumenthal, a Democrat, by the way, and I, and 32 other Democrats support the bill. But we don't have a single Republican on that. <laughs> but, because of, but the two of them are, are suggesting that it's a bipartisan bill. Uh, the Republicans are not on the right side of this issue and never have been. And Gretchen Carlson was right in the middle. So she then goes on to say that the bill is supported by a number of national advocacy groups. Who are those? The AFL-CIO, Public Citizens, the Impact and National Women's Health Network, Microsoft, and the American Association for Justice. <laughs> All of those are democratic-leaning organizations. So Gretchen <laughs> then says, hilariously in my opinion, why are we, quote, more, unquote, Republicans supporting our bill yet? Gretchen, how about any? Not a single one supporting their bill. Um, Gillibrand responds, by saying it's because the U.S. Chamber of Commerce is being difficult. Hello? The U.S. Chamber of Commerce has always been on the wrong side of these types of issues, Simon. They're the ones who brought us the phony lawsuit. They brought us the phony lawsuit abuse crisis. They brought us tort reform. They brought us um, the distorted McDonald's coffee case and the debate surrounding that and what they call frivolous lawsuits. Uh, this is borderline a joke to say that uh, somehow a Republican is going to come along and support this kind of stuff. Gillibrand continues and says, it's so much more pro-business to make our workplaces safe 
and effective for all workers. She's absolutely right about that. But what Republican has ever lobbied to make workplaces more safe and more effective for workers? It's so much better to kick the harassers out rather than the workers who are being harassed. But there isn't a Republican, a, a politician alive who supports that kind of thing. She then goes on to say that she thinks she has good allies and she plans to work with Lindsey Graham, who, by the way, surprisingly co sponsored this bill, according to her. Uh, and she hopes that Lisa Murkowski from uh, Alaska will support it. I believe the chances of that are slim and none. I don't see how anybody can suggest that an anti-citizen, anti-lawsuit, anti-employee right, anti-justice right-wing U.S. chamber um, opposes legislation that a Republican will somehow support. Now, the next part of this interview is interesting. Uh, maybe there is some hope. I, I don't know. Um, uh, Carlson says that uh, Lindsey Graham, in 2017, met with the president of Microsoft, and Microsoft agreed to take arbitration clauses out of their employment contracts. After that happened, according to Carlson, a domino effect in the tech world kind of took place, and Airbnb, eBay, Uber, Lyft, and Facebook all decided to take arbitration clauses out of their um, employment contracts. Eventually, even Google decided to do the same thing uh, in March of 2019, this year. So those are positive steps, I suppose, but there's no legislation requiring them to do it. And it doesn't apply to um, non-contract employees. So, you know, who knows? Um, uh, Carlson says that she hopes it's not a passing fad, and she hopes there will be a, more of a domino effect. Gillibrand uh, says that most tech companies are run by men, so uh, she doesn't think that they're very attuned to the issue. And uh, Silicon Valley is a tough landscape for women where routine discrimination takes place. So we'll see. Um, uh, Gillibrand uh, says that she's persuaded Intuit and Adobe to also stop using force arbitration agreements. So apparently, at least to some degree, the movement is sketching on. But I still don't see a single Republican voting for it in the House or the Senate. And that's my basic problem with uh, this kind of legislation. Um, the political divide just won't support it. Um, look, let's uh, philosophize for a moment. Um, okay. Why why is there this um, disparity between men and women in the workplace? What why can't we all get along and get paid the same amount for doing the same job? I, I know. I I. Just after an incredibly simplistic question, but I, I'd love to hear your uh, answer. Well, I, I, I kind of, I would argue with your premise. Uh, um, I think we can get along. I think, by and large, we do get along, uh, and I think that. Um, Sexual harassment, uh, employee-based um, lawsuits are 
the exception rather than the rule. And I, I would venture to say, Simon, that, that that's why this is so important. When you when you look at at the um, number of plaintiffs filing lawsuits um, against the vast amount of people who are employed in America, uh, you're basically talking about a minority issue. And um, what, what legislation tends to do is support the majority rather than respect the minority. Very much so in terms of of discrimination. Um, uh, harassment is very much like that. It, how many employees are um, uh, black in a white company? How many Christians uh, employ uh, Jewish people or Muslims? Uh, and how are and how are people of color or people of minority religion treated in majority uh, companies? So it's the minorities, uh, and I'm not I'm not saying that that a, a minority of whites are harassment plaintiffs. They are. So I'm not talking about. Uh, minority in, minorities in the sense of religious or ethnic discrimination. I'm talking about plaintiffs in general being a minority. So when you're when you're considering legislation, and the majority of people are opposed to that legislation, the chances of that legislation passing are pretty remote. But I think. Uh, to answer your question, people get along. Uh, the majority of people get along on the job. The majority of, of employers don't harass their employees. Um, and and legislation like this is to protect the minority, not the majority. And that's kind of the point. I, I don't know if that makes any sense to you, but that's that's my view of the issue. Right. In the um, mid-90s, I, I worked for a, a family-owned uh, company. I'll uh, leave their uh, name out of the conversation. Um, okay. They had about oh, 250 employees, and they had exactly... One black guy. Um, and, how was how was he treated? He was treated very well, but and uh, I can't stress the but enough. He was quote the token nigger. Uh, I didn't like it, but that's what that's what know, people called him. Yep. Um. Yes, it is. And he was forced um, to endure that, right? Uh, I mean, he he was treated very well. But um, behind closed it doors, it doesn't sound like it doesn't. Oh, okay, behind closed doors. Behind closed doors, he was the token nigger. Um, I, I thought it was uh, awful, and he, he was such a nice guy. I, first time I met him, I was in. Uh, L.A., the really bad part of L.A., and uh, I, I declared, well, I'm out of cigarettes. I'm gonna, there's a gas station at the corner. I'm going to go and um, 
buy a pack. I'll be right back. And uh, Hawk looked at me and he said, No, you're not, Mr. Simon. I'll go get you the cigarettes. It's scary out there. <laughs> I, I, I really like the guy. And yeah, sure enough, five minutes later, he was back with my pack of cigarettes. And yeah, you know, he he impressed me. But were you a co- to were you the, a coworker uh, or a supervisor? Oh, I was manager of uh, something. Can't remember what. Well, okay. yeah, computer shit. Um, did you work for I, the culture there? Or? Did I work to change the culture? Yeah, were you culture. were you silent in the in the face? Were you silent in the face of the bigotry, or were you? Did you work to change the culture? I don't oh, want to put you I on work, the spot. I just, I just. I, I worked to change the culture, and got fired. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> You, you got to be really careful when you uh, w- when you prod these uh, subjects yeah. with small yeah. companies. By by the way, um, in the in the discrimination, especially racial discrimination field, you probably know uh, that there is a wealth of litigation and court opinions that people can rely on when they're discriminated against. There's a there's a uh, civil rights statute that Martin Luther King was uh, Jr. was uh, and and Lyndon Johnson historically uh, signed in, in uh, the mid 60s. Uh, there's a lot of legislation and uh, reported litigation on discrimination cases. In sexual harassment cases, if you think about this, over the last 20 to 25 years, we've had these employment contracts and these arbitration clauses. What does that do? It prevents our legal system from having the ability to create a record. And if you can't create a record of what constitutes sexual harassment and what doesn't, and what's egregious behavior and what isn't, we've lost legal precedent on this issue. And all of these arbitrated cases which are private, by the way, are not uh, available to prove future cases of harassment. So in the sexual harassment uh, genre of litigation, um, much differently than the racial discrimination or religious discrimination aspect of of, of litigation, uh, there isn't the level of precedent that uh, exists in discrimination cases. Uh, it's, it's almost impossible to know how many women have been forced into arbitration uh, and how many cases resolved successfully or unsuccessfully. It's kind of interesting. Uh, those are those are important issues that were uh, discussed by um, Carlson and Gillibrand in the in the um, interview. Um, uh, kind of an interesting little statistic or side statistic. One one wonders why we're in this uh, situation and 
I have a theory, and you probably won't like it. Um, men rule the world, um, so women can never really get a, a, a fair shake. Um, take it away, Mark. Uh, it's hard to disagree with what you're saying. Uh, I think it's slowly changing. I think wages are uh, are not are obviously not equal. Um, job uh, availability is not equal. Um, there's there's discrimination uh, in in the workplace. Uh, not just religious or racial, but also gender-based discrimination, um, and 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 have been, it has been so for a long time. Um, as women educate themselves more and more, when you look at the at the 40s and 50s, where women uh, basically were stay-at-home moms, uh, they're coming they're coming from a place. Uh, They've had a, a, a much later start on this, so I I think from the standpoint of what I'm going to call catching up, I think they're catching up. I, I don't think they've caught up, obviously, and your point is well taken. Um, but I I do think it's it's getting better. Uh, we had a we had a female in 2016 who won the popular vote. For the presidency, uh, she lost the electoral, obviously, and we got Donald Trump instead of Hillary Clinton. But um, like her or not, she's an accomplished woman. She ran for president, and she convinced the majority of Americans that she was the right person for the job. Now, I don't, I'm not suggesting that because one woman, just like one African American. Um, competed for the presidency that ends discrimination or, or on the basis of race or, or sex or ends harassment I think a lot of what went on with the with Hillary's campaign had to do had to do with uh, sexual issues so I, I'm certainly not suggesting that it's uh, an all-encompassing event but I do think women um, are making inroads and strides, and I don't think it's going to be much longer before the the kinds of things you're you're uh, dreaming of, you and I are dreaming of, come to pass. I think women uh, are equal to or better than men, than men uh, are uh, just as smarter, smarter than men. Uh, uh, can easily be better leaders than men, and it's taken uh, 2019 uh, years for men to screw up the country, the country and the world. Why not give women a chance? What do you think? I'm I'm in agreement with you. I'll tell you what, <laughs> let's um let's change course for a few minutes. Tell us about your books, particularly the uh, new like, one. What would you like to know? Well, today's a, today's a, uh, a special day for me. Uh, my fourth novel came out today. Uh, it's, uh, it's available on pre-order on Amazon, and it's my website, markandbello.com. It is Betrayal in Black, and it is the story of a uh, black family man who is driving his family uh, home from a uh, event and he's pulled over by a police officer. The police officer asks him for his license and registration and most uh, police officers would do in that situation. 
and the driver, who is a good guy, um, after saying, what did I do wrong, uh, gets no answer to that question. But he casually mentions that he is legally carrying a gun. The officer panics. Confusion results. Uh, he gives conflicting orders. Put your hands on the dash. Uh, hands on the steering wheel. Show me your license and registration. Keep your hand out of your pocket. Show me your license and registration. Uh, and finally, shot, shots ring out, and the young, the young driver in front of his wife and children lies uh, bleeding to death. And the, and, the inc- and the incident itself is captured on video. That's the premise for what later happens. Uh, Zachary Blake becomes involved. My uh, attorney, high-profile trial lawyer slash protagonist, Zachary Blake, becomes involved, represents the widow and the children, and together they live in White City Hall. And the the big question is, what will the police do to prevent this from having a tremendously negative effect on the city. Uh, it's kind of, it, it, if, you've read, if you've read or seen the movie The Hate You Give, uh, or read Small Great Things, it's kind of a uh, combination um, of topics covered in those two it's quite a compelling read. It's all that background noise. Simon? 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 There. I don't know what happened to Simon, ladies and gentlemen, but hello, hello. <laughs> this has never happened. Simon. Okay. Well, Simon. Anyway, the the book is entitled "Betrayal in Black." Um, the books that I wrote prior to uh, Black are "Betrayal of Faith," "Betrayal of Justice." And Betrayal in Blue, all of which are available uh, on sale, by the way, for the holiday at uh, the Amazon website. Betrayal in Faith, uh, Betrayal of Faith is about uh, clergy abuse and a young family fighting an evil religious organization to obtain justice. For the atrocities that they suffered. Betrayal of Justice is uh, a book about a bigoted president and a young Muslim woman who was on trial for murdering the white supremacist who bombed her mosque. And Betrayal in Blue, my third novel, is about uh, police on police uh, betrayal where one police force takes uh, another police force uh, to task and accuses a, an innocent cop 
of murdering uh, a white supremacist. Um, so some interesting social topics and interesting stories uh, uh, in the legal world. Uh, all of my books are uh, Grissom-type novels in the legal genre, legal thriller genre of uh, uh, novel writing. Simon, are you back? Yeah. Um, you, dis- you disappeared. Uh, only temporarily. It, it was a minor <laughs> uh, technical uh, hitch. Um, okay. I, reading your... Was, I on, was I on the air? Was I on the air or off the air? Was I on the air or off the air? <laughs> you were fine. Um, reading your book, okay. I, yeah, I, I think there's a, uh, um, a, a common thread. You really like the uh, the little guy, the uh, um, the person that is unlikely to get justice. Um, they are certainly certainly David versus Goliath books, that's for sure. Right. Um, Where does that uh, come from? Well, it comes from 42 years of practicing law on the side of the little guy. Uh, That's what I I did for well over 30 years in my career. And, and in my business of, uh, of um, financing litigation, I also uh, use uh, um, essentially investor dollars to help a little guy compete financially with um, the larger insurance companies and uh, corporate defendants. So... Uh, my whole career has been spent representing the little guy against the big guy, and that's that's just the way it turned out for me, and I've never been sorry. Um, I I know little about the uh, law, um, you know, of them what I've picked up, but you you use the term. Uh, litigation finance. Um, what is it? How does it work? Okay. Uh, litigation. My my company is Lawsuit Financial, and you can uh, visit me at lawsuitfinancial.com. And like all websites, Lawsuit Financial is one word www.lawsuitfinancial.com but what we do is as I indicated uh, kind of a David and Goliath event Um, a person couldn't afford to sue somebody if they didn't have a lawyer who was willing to handle the case on a contingency How how does John Q. Citizen sue a major corporation unless they have the money to do that or unless they have a lawyer on a contingency fee basis. So the contingency fee helped a lot. What it didn't help, though, is when you're hurt and uh, you're disabled from working and you file a lawsuit based on that disabling injury, how do you pay your bills while the case is progressing? You use, you use savings, you borrow from friends, and you quickly run out of money. So what Lawsuit Financial and other companies like it does is we provide clients with the sustenance money that they need to continue to fight for the highest dollar in their lit- in their litigation that, that they can get. So if you're losing your house while your case is pending, you're likely to settle your case for pennies on a dollar 
so that you don't lose your house. If you can get your house payments made while the case is pending, then you'll get a lot more money in your litigation. So we will pay your house payments. We will pay your car payments. We will pay for your groceries. We will help you out financially until your case is done. And that's what litigation finance is. Do, do you have a lot of uh, clients? Oh, yes. It's a very popular service. Um, I would say around the country, it's probably a multi-billion dollar industry. My small company doesn't do that kind of value. Um, uh, it, it's a huge, huge uh, industry. Uh, not, not as large, obviously, as uh, disability litigation itself, um, but certainly a, a, a large industry in its own right. There, there's a, a, a term uh, I've heard you use on previous programs, and again, <laughs> I'm showing my uh, legal uh, lack of knowledge. What is tort and what is tort reform? Well, a tort is a, is a civil harm. That's what it means. So any type of injury that a person suffers as, as caused by the act of someone else is a tort. So an auto accident is a type of tort. A work injury is a type of tort. A pharmaceutical drug injury is a type of tort. Sexual harassment, as we discussed, or discrimination is a is kind of a pseudo tort. It's a civil harm. Uh, so all of those are torts. Tort reform. Uh, that's not my term. That's uh, a term, a political term. Um, the United States Chamber of Commerce uh, and uh, numerous uh, right-wing legislators, primarily uh, national and state, came up with the ingenious idea of protecting large corporations from getting hit by civil damages by limiting people's access to court. Um, one of those tactics we discussed tonight um, arbitration clauses in employment contracts. Another tactic, though, is passing legislation that restricts people's rights to recover money or literally restricts people's access to court. An example of that is a cap on damages. Um, uh, in here in Michigan, where I am, uh, most of the time, Michigan is a blue state, but in the um, state legislature and in the last election, it was decidedly red. Uh, in Mississippi, where you are, uh, also very red. Um, there are constitutional provisions. Uh, nationally, it's the Seventh Amendment. Um, locally, uh, most most uh, state constitutions prevent tampering with the judicial system or the civil justice system uh, by the legislative system. Uh, so, when tort reform is discussed and sometimes passed, sometimes it's ruled unconstitutional. Because it is. Uh, the legislative branch cannot step on the purview of the judicial branch, of the justice branch. Yet they try to do that all the time. 
uh, and they do it in the name of protecting corporations from citizens, which for the life of me, I can't understand. You're not a, you're not elected <laughs> to office by a corporation. You're elected to office by citizens. Uh, I, I I sort of disagree with you there. I mean, well, you're you're um, financed you're financed by you're financed by corporate types, right. which is another big problem. <laughs> yes. If we could take money out of politics, we wouldn't have this kind of stuff. <laughs> money out of politics, there wouldn't be any politicians. <laughs> well. When I when I say that, I think you can legislate. Uh, see, there you know, there's good legislation and there's bad legislation. Tort reform is bad <laughs> legislation. Um, uh, political campaign finance reform is good legislation. And what we should do is be able to contribute into a pot, and that pot is used to finance candidates on an equal basis so that uh, they're not always running around uh, entertaining lobbyists and currying through corporate types for money in return for favors. And uh, a good example of that is what's happening in the impeachment inquiry and that ambassador who contributed a million dollars to the Trump campaign and then lied under oath in front of Congress. Now, he, he recanted and changed his testimony. But my God, I mean, what is this country becoming uh, politically when billions and billions of dollars are being raised and spent on political campaigns? Uh, the country would be a lot better off if everybody was on equal footing and we elected people on their merits rather than how much money they raise. We're, um, we're running out of time here, but there, there, there is one subject that I, I'd love to get your uh, comment on. The um, Supreme Court has taken up uh, a, a Second Amendment case um, I, I believe it's out of New York City, and uh, it's all to do with uh, carrying guns. Um, have, have you um, uh, heard about? What was the last? What was the last part you said? Um, it, it's all about transportation of guns. Right. Um, I, I have not. I have not heard about the case, but tell me, what do, do you know? What the central issue of the case is? I, I actually, I really don't. Um, okay. But the uh, grumbling and rumbling is that um, that this could be a very significant case. Um, well, the 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 um, the last case is supposed to be a huge issue, and the Supreme Court didn't take it up. Um, now that that in itself uh, became a huge issue because the uh, Sandy Hook. Um, survivors were permitted to uh, pursue their lawsuit based on the Supreme Court saying nothing. So I, I, I would suggest to you that sometimes when the Supreme Court speaks loudly by doing nothing, um, I, I'm unfamiliar with the situation you're describing. Uh, but I would suggest to you that um, if the court takes it up, it'll, it'll be a big issue. If it doesn't take it up, it probably won't. Uh, the oh, they, they, that, the, that the Supreme Court 
Supreme Court the court has the case. The the court has picked it up. Uh, I believe oral arguments were this morning. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Um, I I think it's going to be a doozy. Um, uh, As far as um, I can tell, well, this is based on all of the uh, talking heads. It's going to be... um, um, Four against four with um, the the boss being the uh, swing vote. Um, I I, I think it's going to be curious. Um, Essentially, or or from what I can gather, it's all about, um, you know, uh, gun owners' rights, and um, are, we talking, are, we, if, are we talking about a New York case? Yes. Okay. I'm looking. I'm looking at it right now. Hang on. <laughs> well, that is license. Our gun owner should take your hand and that that Yes. And just uh, <laughs> Well, I, 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 I certain as I look at it, this is a, this is a quick, a quick uh, off the cuff um, evaluation. Um, I don't think you're going to see. Uh, the Supreme Court issuing any kind of broad ruling about um, expanding gun rights. Um, I think you might see that a person who's entitled to carry a gun uh, is entitled to do it based on the Second Amendment, whether he's in New York City or leaves New York City. Um, uh, and, and that seems to be that seems to be the issue, whether or not a person can carry a gun with him across um, city lines or state lines. And I'll just say what I do. I, the Second Amendment broadly entitles people to keep and bear arms. Um, whether they're, whether they're going over some artificial border in New York, and keep in mind this is a city case, not a not a state case. This is the issue of taking a handgun outside of a city in the same state. So I would guess that if the state law uh, allows them to do that, the city law would not prevent them from doing that, doing that, and I think the Supreme Court would probably rule against the city of New York if that's who's opposing this. Hmm. Handgun owners, handgun owners, and the NRA say the regulation violates the U.S. Constitution and the Second Amendment. Gun control advocates say that ruling in favor of the NRA on this issue might broaden uh, gun rights on other issues. I, I don't, I don't really buy that. But we'll see. It's a new issue to me. I have to research it. Well, it, it's definitely I'm something I'm to. Yeah, it's definitely something to uh, keep your eye on. Um, I Mark, I hate to tell you this, but we're flat out of time by just over uh, five minutes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so. We're going to have to close it for this week. 
Um, any uh, parting thoughts for us? My parting thoughts is my new book came out today. Uh, please uh, give it a try. I um, would like to hear from the people as to what they thought of the novel. Um, uh, perhaps you and some of your buddies can read it and let me know. We certainly will. This is, this is Simon Barrett wishing everyone a happy, healthy, and safe week. We'll be back again next Monday, same time, same place. Till then, goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>